3: It's hour number three of the Greg Peterson experience on VSIN, the Sports Banking Network. We've got a tremendous hour for you guys. We've got a lot of college basketball coming up for this Tuesday. It's a really good card that we've got on this Tuesday. We don't necessarily have a ton of mid-major teams, so we've got a lot of the major conference teams. So we're going to be able to dive into that. And on the way, we're going to be taking a look at the uh, NFC and AFC Championship games in about 15 minutes. As Grant Mitchell, who does great work, over at Forbes, and also the Fade the Public podcast is going to be joining me. So we've got a lot of fun that is coming up, and we've got to take a look at overall getting on this college basketball card and starts off with a team that I think is starting to get a little bit overvalued here as this is a line that is moved by three points from the opener. 647, 648 on the betting board. Kentucky gets the road to face off against Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt opened up a three-point underdog. Now they're a six-point underdog, so... It has literally doubled, and your total on this game, it is 144.5, and with Kentucky on the three-point line, I could advocate for a play on them. I thought that that was actually relatively solid value. I set my line with Kentucky being a a four-and-a-half-point favorite, so now that we've gotten to six, it is my buy point on Vanderbilt. I do prescribe a little bit to just the weirdness of the home court of Vanderbilt. I actually used to work for the official flagship station, of Vanderbilt Athletics. you have got Memorial Coliseum where you've got the benches just in a very random area in general. So I do think that there is a little bit of something that you can tie into that. It's not like it's a situation where it's like, well, in a normal circumstance, I would say Kentucky has a seven point favorite. Now I can only go four and a half. It's not like that big of a move or anything like that, but it's something it's a half a point. In my opinion, I do think that you can, able, you can take a little bit of something into that, but The big thing for me with Kentucky is what are we going to be able to see on this defense? Because it does feel like they're starting to get their blend with Xavier Wheeler not playing as many minutes. As a matter of fact, he has scored as many points as myself the last two games that he has been out there. He completely missed that game against Tennessee. And guess what? Last three games, Kentucky, they've been able to win and they've been able to cover all of them. So without Xavier Wheeler, it's been... Really beneficial for them right now, but still in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis It is a Kentucky team that is leaving a little bit of something to be desired as right now they're clocking in right around 95th with this regard and giving up 10.9 points more per 100 possessions a road slash neutral court environment rather than when they are at home and Flip side for Vanderbilt. It's not like they do anything great. They're a team that ranks right around 170th or so Terms of points, a lot on a purpose session basis, and now they are missing their top scorer and shot blocker, Liam Robbins, a guy that's able to chip in there 13 points, six boards, right around three blocks per contest. Him being out of the fold is big for this Vanderbilt team, but you do have a sort of hole is greater than some of its parts team that they're just really, really gritty and they find a way to be able to hang in games, which I do think that there is something to that as well. You've got someone in Miles Tute who's been able to give you about 10 and a half points per contest. He's really your main three-point shooter with Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt is a team that you shoot right in the neighborhood about 33 or so percent from three-point range, but he has shot a little bit north of 40% from three. And then past that, you've got Tyron Lawrence, Jordan Wright. They both give you about 11 points per game as their man, John. Not someone that you want shooting threes. He's currently shooting 7.1% from three, but Three assists, a steal per contest. Colin Smith is starting to give this team a little bit more. And then for Kentucky, you do have a pair of guys in Kassan Walsh, along with Antonio Reeves, that shoot just below 40% from three. They've been able to do a solid job on that front. And Walsh, he does a good job with the ball in his hands. He has really been taking over a lot of the reps that typically you find go to Xavier Wheeler at the point guard spot, and he's been able to do a nice job of being able to dole out the ball with this offense. Not like Kentucky is necessarily needed to score a whole bunch with outside or wheeler in the fold as well. They've been playing a little bit more of a defense-oriented style. And to be able to help out with that, how about the nation's leader in rebounds, Oscar Sheboy, who's able to give you 14 rebounds per game all by himself? That said, you've got one other Kentucky player that gives you north of three and a half rebounds per game. That would be that would be Jacob Toppin. Everyone else may give you 3.4 rebounds or less. So it is a very Oscar Sheway dominant team and I do think that Vanderbilt's something that they do a very good job of is they are typically able to do a good job of containing a team's best player they scheme up against them and I do think that it's going to be a Vanderbilt bunch that is going to be able to hold in there we saw them hold in there when they were playing against Alabama a little bit earlier this season they were blown out in that first half and then they played a spirited second half to be able to get you to the window there they got a nice win Without their top scorer in Liam Robbins when they played against Georgia a couple days ago as well. This is just a Vanderbilt team that they find a way to be able to keep games close. Now, they lose some of these close games, but they find a way to be able to keep things within arm's reach. And I think that they're going to be able to do that here. It's only said Kentucky is a four and a half point favorite. So I'm going to be willing to take six with Vanderbilt. A little bit surprised that we've seen this move as much as it has. Not necessarily surprised that it made a little bit of a move, but three full points. Overnight, that is relatively large and did some I told at 136.5. I do think that Vanderbilt, they're going to be looking to make this game a little bit more grimy, a little bit more yucky, and Kentucky with having Xavier Wheeler more on the sidelines, they've been playing a little bit more of a defense-oriented style. So looking at the under, and I'm looking at the points with Vanderbilt. How about if we look at a team that is a bit of a favorite that we've seen come down literally within the last, I would say, 10 or so minutes, but... We'd like to see it come down a little bit more. 649, 650 on the betting board. Iowa State, they're going to be playing against Kansas State. Kansas State, in most spots, are a five-point underdog. I'm seeing in a few straight places a five-and-a-half, and at DraftKings, this has actually come down to now where Iowa State is just a four-and-a-half-point favorite. In your total loss game, starting between 134 and 134-and-a-half, I set my handicap at four. So even at the four-and-a-half, if you're taking a look at DraftKings, still a buy point for me on Kansas State. Not willing to go any further downward than four and a half, but willing to still buy in at four and a half. Most places I am seeing have this as a five line, but with Kansas State, they've been able to do a really good job of just being able to put the ball in the basket, a top 25 team in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis with Keontae Johnson doing a rock-solid job with 18 and a half points, shoots it at a high 30s clip from three-point range, and then on top of that, Marquise Noel. What he's been able to do is, With this offense, fewer than three turnovers per game while he still dishes out more than eight assists per contest. Gives you over two steals per game. He's a big reason why Kansas State has been able to ascend. And Kansas State, remarkably, while having a game in which they gave up 100 points to Texas earlier this season, you may recall, that was a, I think it was like 118 to like 106 game. It was harebrained. It was just absolutely insane. They still have a team that ranks in the top 40. Nationally, it terms points a lot on a per possession basis. Promise Iowa State, they are number five in the country. in terms points a lot on a per possession basis, and they're giving up 74.8 points per 100 possessions when they are at home. That is the number two mark in all of college basketball for Iowa State. Reason why their defense is so dominant, they're the top team in the country at being able to generate turnovers. It's an Iowa State team that also has to be able to ascend a little bit more with their offense. Certainly, calling card for this Iowa State team, without question. It is their defense, but you have been able to get some good production out of the two St. Bonaventure transfers and Jeron Holmes coupled with Oshun Oshuni. Oshun Oshuni's stats may not look like they're rambunctious or anything like that. 8.9 points, he chips in there about 3.9 rebounds. He's able to give you a block per game, so it doesn't necessarily look like he does a ton, but if you look at the advanced numbers, if you take a look at the impact that he has on defense with those advanced numbers, He's been one of the more valuable big men in all of college basketball. Holmes, meanwhile, 13 points, shoots 36.5% from three, and all in all, it's an Iowa State team that they do shoot 35.5% from three-part range. We've got Gabe Kelscher, Caleb Grill, both of these guys have shot between 35.5% and 37.5% from three-part range, combining for about 23 points per game. But with Kansas State, I do think that they're going to be able to hold in there because... They've been able to get some good production out of more of their ancillary pieces. Something like Adesi Sills has done a solid job being able to chip in there right around 8, 9 points per game. It's a Kansas State team that, as a whole, they shoot it relatively solid from three-point range. As a collective, they make right around 35.2% of their threes. They've done a solid job being able to take care of the ball. They do turn the ball for 13.8 times per game, but they've been playing at one of the more rapid pieces in all of college basketball, which is why. I did set this total at a 132. Typically, though it was state games, I'm not willing to set my total this high, but that said, now that we've seen this total get up to a 134, 134 and a half, I do think that it is a good buy point on the under Kansas state. Their numbers are a little bit warped with that game that we saw against Texas, but by and large, they've been able to do a good job of holding up on defense at Iowa state. They've given up north of 70 points twice all season long. They've done an amazing job holding down darn near everyone on defense. So, this is a situation where I take a look at the under. And with Kansas State, 4.5 or more. My buy point on them. How about if we take a look at a favorite out here in lovely Las Vegas that I think that they're finally going to be able to get it online. 655, 656 on the betting board. UNLV is going to be playing us Wyoming. Wyoming opened up a 7.5 point underdog. Now we're finding them anywhere between 6.5 and, and 7. Turn on this game between 141 and 141.5. And I actually set UNLV as a 10-point favorite. They have won just one game. In conference play thus far, but with Wyoming, this is a mash unit. They are without so many key pieces. Their top rebounder and Hunter Thompson. You've had Brandon Wetzel be out of the fold. They do have Hunter Maldonado in for this game, but Max Ikbang Polo, who comes in from USC, he's most likely going to miss another game. And for UNLV, it is still a team that ranks in the top 90 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Now, entering into conference play, this was more in the top 40. They've given up 70-plus points in each of their last five games, but it is a UNLV team. I think that they're going to be able to get more online with their offense. They're going up against a Wyoming team that's right around 300th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. UNLV giving up six points fewer per one-armed possessions when they are at home rather than on the road. EJ Harkless, has been able to do a good job as Saatchi suffer with 17 points, four boards. It's a UNLV team that they still generate right around nine steals per game. And Wyoming, Sunder tough has done a bad job taking care of the ball. So I did say UNLV is more on 10 point favorite. I'm willing to lay it me by total 138. So also diving under. And while we're diving in on next, the NFC and AFC championship game. As Grant Mitchell, who does great work over at Forbes, joins me on the flip side here on the Greg Peterson Experience on Visa, the Sports Radio. Network. Watch football with a little bit more on the line by playing for free in the Guinness Time Challenge. Just visit DraftKings.com Guinness, set your lineup, and watch the action unfold as you play for a year's share of $115,000 all postseason long. Guinness made a more in terms and conditions and other eligibility restrictions. They do apply. See DraftKings.com for details. We're back here on the Greg Peterson Experience on v the Sports Bank Network. Great to be joined by... One of our good friends, Grant Mitchell. He does amazing work over there at Forbes and also is one half of the Fade the Public podcast. And, Grant, it is great to have you aboard tonight. Thank you. Hey, Greg. Thanks for having me back.
5: No way I would rather spend my Monday night than talking some sports with you.
3: No way that I would rather spend my time either, Grant, because we've got two amazing games that are going to be coming up in the AFC and the NFC title game. And, I'm sure that you're in agreement with me. We've got more question marks on the AFC side of things because we've got the Patrick Mahomes injury, and that is cause for a line move. We saw the Chiefs open up in a lot of spots as a two-point favorite. There was a random three that I was seeing at DraftKings that lasted for less than seven minutes, rightfully so in my opinion, but now we're finding the Bengals as high as a two-point favorite now at DraftKings. This is a number that continues to just go up and up and up. Where do you stand on this game? Because I certainly do think that the Patrick Mahomes injury, it is just so paramount in this spot. Because if you have Patrick Mahomes go out there and he's not 100%, not only does it mean that you're going to get fewer rushing yards for the Kansas City Chiefs, but mobility in the pocket is something that I think is very underrated. And Patrick Mahomes is one of the best in the business with it. Yes, absolutely. And I've got to
5: say, that line just moved to two points about 15 minutes ago. So as if you guys didn't know, this guy's on top of this stuff. There you have it. It also ruins a pretty cool stat that I have prepared, which was the Bengals are 9-0 against the spread in their last nine games as underdogs, and 17-5 against the spread in their last 22 games as underdogs. Maybe Mahomes is healthy, and that line moves back across zero, and if that's the case, you know what to do based on those numbers. But let's look at this matchup itself. Mahomes and Burrow are the two best quarterbacks in the league. I think we can say that without a shred of doubt. It was sort of that battle for number two last weekend between Allen and Burrow. Some people had Burrow ahead of him. Some people had Allen ahead of him. I personally had Burrow, and I think that I was vindicated in that performance. I would always put Mahomes ahead of Burrow. It's nothing against Burrow. It's just Mahomes is on pace to, I don't know, be the best football player that we've ever seen. But if he has a flat tire, if that high ankle sprain is getting to him, you've got to downgrade him a little bit, and we know how Burrow plays in these clutch moments. You've got to raise him up a bit. So if we say that Burrow and Mahomes are even in this matchup, Now we've got to start looking at the other factors. What about the running backs? Well, Joe Mixon was excellent in the snow and on the road at Buffalo, but he hasn't really been the most consistent back in the league. And Isaiah Pacheco is a great runner, especially for a rookie, but it's the Chiefs. They don't necessarily run the ball a lot, and they don't have a stalwart back there. Okay, let's look at the offensive line. The Chiefs are more healthy, but if you watched what the Bengals' offensive line did to the Bills last week, you would know that they absolutely went up there and beat the snot out of them. It was unbelievable what they did. And I think it's a testament to, to it's a testament to the swagger that this whole Bengals offense plays with. We want to look at the skill position guys, the tight ends, the wide receivers. B- Mahomes has one star in Kelsey. Burrow has another in Chase. Overall, you say the unit sort of favors the Bengals. You go to the defensive side of the football. It's pretty even over there too. Chiefs get the advantage on the line. Bengals get the advantage in the secondary. We are in for a true 50-50 matchup in my eyes.
3: Yep, I do think so as well. And how much do you still factor in some of the offensive line issues that the Bengals do have? Because they weren't necessarily totally uh, seen in that game against the Buffalo Bills. As we know, the game was played in some interesting conditions and the Buffalo Bills, they themselves, We're expecting Von Miller to be in that game. When they signed him, that did not turn out to be the case. And you could tell that the Bills weren't necessarily the same on defense without him towards back half of the season. But I do think that that is a little bit of an interesting read in terms of this game as well.
5: Yeah, definitely. I'm going to be honest. I don't quite know what to expect from that Bengals offensive line. I mean, it was the big problem with the team last year. Burrow was hit more than any other quarterback in the league. So they go out and they spend all this money rebuilding that offensive line and free agency. Now we get to the business part of the season, and three of the five starters are out. But again, you watch back the footage, they looked just as good as ever. They looked better than ever with those three backups in there against the Bills. And yeah, you can say that the Bills were playing in the snow, but the Bengals were playing in the snow too. So it was even conditions, and you've got to take that at face value. I trust them going into Kansas City to at least hold up. I think they will give Burrow a chance. And when you have 60% of your line as backups, that's really all you can ask for.
3: Absolutely. And then in terms of the other game between the 49ers and the Philadelphia Eagles, fewer questions at quarterback. We know what we're going to be able to get out of Brock Purdy. We know what we're going to be able to get out of Jalen Hurts. And Jalen Hurts did a great job of being able to answer all those questions against the New York Giants. There was, Just like we were questioning Patrick Mahomes coming into this game, we were questioning Jalen Hurts. How close to 100% was he going to be Look good on design runs. Look good throwing the ball down the field. He checked every single box. And as a result, the Eagles, they open up as a 1.5 point favorite. They're now a 2.5 point favorite. And some people were speculating that if Hertz wasn't 100%, if he didn't look too great, that perhaps the 49ers would be a road favorite. I think that this line is relatively correct. And as long as it stays below a field goal, I think that there's good value on the Philadelphia Eagles. See, I'm going to
5: disagree with you here. I am taking the 49ers to win this game outright. And I want to I want to agree with your analysis on Jalen Hurts and that he looked good, he looked comfortable. But I also want to push back just a little bit because he hasn't been tested since he came back. If we want to look, he had those two weeks off with the injury. Obviously, they lose both those games. Comes back in week 18, has 220 yards, no touchdowns, and an interception. Last week, yes, he had the two touchdowns, but he wasn't super effective running the ball. He only had 31 yards. And he only threw for 160-something yards. That's sort of being a passenger, which is not what you expect from your quarterback and MVP candidate in a 38-7 to win. Now, you can say they had their foot off of the gas. They didn't want to do too much. That's fine. I understand that argument. But I still don't think we truly know how he's going to hold up against a really menacing 49ers defense until we see him on the field in this championship game.
3: And I do think that taking a look at the line play as well is going to be so big because the one fear that I do have with the Philadelphia Eagles is that in darn near every single game this year, they've been able to plow teams on both the offensive and defensive line. This is going to be the hardest line test to date. Now, I think that we can also say that for the 49ers, but I think that that's such a big aspect of this game. Whoever is going to be able to win out front, I think is really going to be able to control this game.
5: Yep, absolutely. And this really speaks to how well-rounded both of these teams are because we could really analyze any matchup we wanted to. We could look at the defensive backs versus the wide receivers. We could go quarterback for quarterback. But line for line is also one of the most important matchups in this game. Obviously, you've got Nick Bosa. He's going to be the most noteworthy player for that 49ers defensive line. And what I loved about the 49ers last week was they were able to cause havoc for Dak Prescott pretty much all game long. Now you could say Dak maybe looked slightly more comfortable in the pocket than Brock Purdy did. I think Purdy looked slightly overmatched and his youthfulness showed, but they forced them into two huge turnovers. And Dak also tried to throw the 49ers a couple over balls too. They really should have come away with three or four interceptions. If they can get a similar amount of pressure on the Eagles, then it's gonna be a whole new game. And here's an interesting stat for you. 49ers, we know that they were ranked second best against the run. But they held opposing quarterbacks to the fifth-fewest rushing yards. I'm not quite sure how that's going to play out in this game because I think if they get a bunch of pressure, Hurts is obviously just going to take off, and that's going to cause him to scramble and get a lot of rushing yards. But if they can contain him in the pocket, that's going to be the defensive emphasis throughout the game. Hold, contain. Then they have a very good shot of winning that game
3: i think that that is a great set that you bring up and i do think that that plays into a little bit of a way to be able to play these final few games of the season as well because we're down to three nfl games For those that like high volume, well, we don't necessarily have as much of that in terms of sides and totals. But I do think that being able to extract stats like that and being able to take a look at some more just general props slash player props is a good way to go if you're looking for a little bit more volume. I don't know if you're looking a little bit more into these, especially when it comes to the Super Bowl. But I think that is a good way to be able to have a little bit more online because I'm not necessarily an advocate for being like, all right, if you have like five sides and totals, what you typically put between those five sides put on like one or two this week. I don't think that that's the way to go, but rather diversifying and taking a look more at props.
5: Yeah. And I've got a couple of player props that I've picked out and they're both from actually, I want to go back to that Bengals chiefs game. I like both of the tight ends to score in that game. Travis Kelsey just got 17 targets last week, set the NFL playoff record for most receptions in a game. This is a very interesting stat. I said, Kelsey had the 17 targets. Kadarius tony was next with seven and tony is a wide receiver by trade but we know he's more of a bit part guy they want to do jet sweeps they want to give him the ball on the screen he had seven targets no other wide receiver for the chiefs had more than two targets i like him to get a touchdown and i like hayden hurst second most targets on the Bengals in these playoffs also to get a touchdown
3: i like that travis kelsey absolutely tore it up with 14 catches in the previous game, even if Chad Henney's throwing it to him at the end of the game, Chad Henney, I'm sure, is going to be banking on him. And we always bank on you for great insights, Grant, and you always deliver. Thank you so much for joining me. No problem. Have a great rest of the show. Always great to have Grant Mitchell aboard. Does a great job with the Fade the Public podcast. And coming up next, let's take a look at some Big 12 college basketball here on Beeson, the Sports Bank Network.
0: Hoops Peterson himself on VSIN, the sports
3: betting network. If you're looking for a betting edge on football's biggest game, the VSIN experts have you covered. Become a VSIN Pro subscriber with an introductory offer of just $9.99. VSIN Pro subscribers get access to a daily recap of the top plays made by VSIN show-offs and guests, tools like our betting splits that let you see where the money and the bets are moving on every game, deep dive betting reports, VSIN betting guides for the biggest games of the season where our experts break down the brackets, best bets, and all the big game props. Do not miss out on this limited time offer. Visit VCN.com slash subscribe today to sign up for just $9.99 and become a part of the Sports Betting Network. That is at VSIN.com slash subscribe. We're back here on the Greg Peterson experience on VCN, the Sports Betting Network. It was great to get Grant Mitchell on in the last segment, taking a look at these championship games that we've got in the AFC and the NFC and to be talking about them all week long, but as we know, we're getting towards the end of the NFL season. We've got these two games on Sunday, and then we've got one big game left. It's known as the Super Bowl. And then that is it. And then it's on to other sports. So getting you guys prepared. Hopefully you guys enjoyed a little bit of NHL action that we took a look at in hour number one. And if you missed that VC.com slash podcast, you're able to get every single hour that we do here at the network. And Let's take a look at some Big 12 action as it is very rambunctious right now in the Big 12. All these teams are very, very solid, and that makes the value that you go with the underdogs, in my opinion, more amplified. And I think that you've got some value with this underdog, 651, 652 on the betting board. It is Oklahoma State. They're going to be on the road facing off against Texas. Texas, they are back to being a favorite, mostly seeing seven halves out there. You're seeing anywhere between seven and a half and eight. Mostly eights are starting to dry up and becoming seven halves with a total between 135 and 135 and a half. And like the eight a little bit more than the seven. But with that said, still think that you've got value here at 7.5 as I set Texas as more of a five and a half point favorite with Texas. You can tell that the Chris Beard situation has really had the team and a little bit of, shall we say, flux because it is a Texas team that they were playing a little bit more slowly under Chris Beard. The defense. It was a little bit better. And in terms of points, a lot on a per possession basis. It is still a team that overall for the season ranks in the top 25 in that regard. But now they have to go up against an Oklahoma State team that they really tightened up the screws on defense as well. They're a team that they rank in the top 20 nationally in terms of points, a lot on a per possession basis. And they deal with an injury to Musa Sise in recent games. He was able to play in the team's last game, but really didn't deliver anything against Iowa State. Played less than 20 minutes in that contest was just not able to be himself, but yet Oklahoma State was able to get the job done, and the man that has really been able to step up with Musa Cissé dealing with injury, that'd be Caleb Boone. Caleb Boone has been absolutely tremendous with. Overall for the season, 10.5 points, 5.5 boards, block and a half per game, but you take a look at what he's been able to do in the five games that Cissé has either been out or has been rather limited. 15 blocked shots. He's had 13-plus points in four out of those five games. He's done a very solid job of being a little bit more versatile as well because he shoots over 80% at the free throw line. So that's helpful for this team. You've got Bryce Thompson, Avery Anderson, a duo that's able to give you 22.5 points per contest with Thompson being your main three-point shooter, shooting 39.5% from 3 point inch out. You have to have a little bit of pause with this Oklahoma City team on offense. They're a mid-tempo team that they turn the ball over 14.5 times per game in Texas. They do a solid job of being able to generate some turnovers, but... It's a lot of a little bit of a top heavy texas team in terms of their scoring as you've got your main guy marcus carr was able to give you 18 half points per game so I remember when he went up there against texas a and m commerce about a month ago and he outscored the entire commerce team all by himself in the first half he shoots 40 percent from three but it's not like this Texas team shoots it amazing from three either. They shoot about 32.5% from three. Only about 12 turnovers per game out of them. You've got Tyree Sunner, Serge Barry Rice, Timmy Allen. All these guys average between about 10.1 and 11 points per contest. Allen, a nice little matrix in that he fills up every column of the stat sheet. Five and a half boards, three and a half assists. He's able to give you just under a CO per contest as well. But it's really rebounding by committee. Dylan Mitchell gives you right around five rebounds per game. Christian Bishop, right around three and a half boards. Dylan DeSue, three and a half rebounds. It's a nice collective, but you really don't have those guys that stand out down low. And I do think that Oklahoma State has a little bit of an edge there. And these two teams, they did match up a few weeks ago. That was a game which Texas, they were able to win by a count of 56 of 46. That was the game immediately following them, giving up 116 points against Kansas State. And that is a game to where... Oklahoma State, they were on their home floor, but they shot below average in that game. They shot 30% from the floor, 20.5% from three, 12 of 21 at the free throw line, yet they were still able to hang in that game. They were still able to provide themselves with a chance because you had Boone, who I mentioned before, have six blocks in that game, Tyreek Smith. He was also able to generate three blocks in that contest as well. I think that Oklahoma State... Is going to try to win from within i don't think that they get the outright win but i do think that because they do have such good play in the post that they're going to be able to hold in this game it is a total that i said at 135 and a half i think that you get a little bit more scoring than we got the last time around and if this is a scenario where we do find late game felling we could see some craziness ensue and this is a texas team that they do rank in the top 65 in terms of total possessions per game so they've really cranked up their tempo and for Texas, defense has not been the same without having Chris Beard in the fold. So, I'm going to be taking a look at a 135 over. And in this ordeal with Texas, going to make them a 5.5 point favorite. So, going to be taking a look at the points with Oklahoma State. How about if we take a look at a battle out in the Big East between a pair of teams that have not necessarily been stalwarts in this conference. 621-622 on the betting board. Georgetown is playing us to DePaul. DePaul paul is a favorite of anywhere between two and a half and three points and your total is between 147 and 148.5. and 148 and a half these two teams did match up a few weeks ago and it was apollo was able to get the win and cover in that game and well my live betting angle came into effect there i don't do a lot of live betting in terms of college basketball and i actually come up after our good friends wes and femi with live bet tonight they do an absolutely amazing job with that show so if you like the Greg Peterson experience you want to tune in for them because I am on from 9 to midnight pacific time they are on just before me so if you're ever looking for good live betting angles I recommend those fine gentlemen but that said my live betting angle it is very very simple it's not necessarily rocket science as a matter of fact it's probably about the opposite of rocket science whatever Georgetown does in the first half of their game you bet the complete opposite by this I mean If Georgetown comes out there and lays a complete stinker in the first half, half, they're down like 30 points. You take them in the second half. If they are up by any sort of points in the first half, they play a good first half. You fade them in the second half. I have no idea how. I have no idea why. But every single time Georgetown has a game, they have one half where they actually look really good. They look like a team that can win some games out in the Big East, and they look like a team with some promise and then they've got one half where they look absolutely terrible. It's not been going well under Patrick Ewing, and as a matter of fact, it's going so badly for Georgetown, their last win against a Big East Conference foe, that came in the 2021 Big East Tournament. The 2021 Big East Tournament was played 22 months ago. Yeah, that's not great. This is a Georgetown team that ranks right around 300th in the country, turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. They have not been able to guard anyone a in- just take a look at the Georgetown team, and the talent is honestly there with them. I mean, Primo Spears is a dynamic scorer. He and Brandon Murray able to combine for about 31.5 points per contest. Primo Spears, 5.5 assists, 1.3 steals per game. Murray shoots 38% from three. Spears means a little bit of something to be desired on that front, but they also make bone-headed mistakes. These two guys have combined for about 6.3 turnovers per game. You've got Jay Heath. He's able to shoot about thirty and a half percent for three, 13.5 points per game. Good Wahab, a cook, a cook. They combine for 14 rebounds per contest. The guys are there for Georgetown. They just can't put it together for a full game. Meanwhile, for DePaul, they finally have Caleb Murphy back in the fold. One of the better defenders that I was finding in the transfer portal. He comes in from South Florida. He's been able to give the team 17 points in two games. He should be able to make a little bit of an impact, but the real X factor here, Deshaun Nelson. Deshaun Nelson is a six foot eight, little bit of a combo player. Came in from the non-D1 level, and he's been able to give the team double figures in each of the last five games. He's shifted in their six plus rebounds in four of the team's last six games as well. It was someone that was a little bit of an afterthought towards the beginning part of the season. He has now been able to rise up and be very solid for them. And then you've got Imaja Gibson, Javon Johnson. They both give you between 15 and 15 and a half points per game apiece. Gibson, two steals, five assists per game. Now this is a ball team that also leaving something to be desired on defense they are outside the top 200 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis as a matter of fact they are 248th but first time around when these two teams played they were trailing for much of the second half they were able to get the win they were able to get the cover in that game it is a DePaul team that they've been able to shoot it well from three-point range shooting right around 35 percent from three-point range this Georgetown team they do not guard the arc, and with Errol Penn being able to chip in their 7.5 rebounds per game, I do think that George Shown should have enough in the post to be able to get the job done. Just really hard to have a team favorite that hasn't won a conference game in 22 months. It's not necessarily the most difficult handicap there. I did, as a result, make DePaul the 3.5-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it. by told 151.5 It's a high-scoring game first time around. No reason to think any different here. Going to be taking a look at the over. And in the final segment here on the Greg Peterson Experience, we go back to the Big 12 for my DK Nation pick. That's up next here on Visa, the Sports Bank Network.
0: Yeah, I, yeah. Because you gotta think, Love he's him. gonna guard. He don't care about guarding. He's gonna guard. He's gonna exactly. guard. Like you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's gonna guard. And then on I'm top of it,
5: like that, see that,
4: ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Casella. Point game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying. Tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. Then he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember
2: what you know? I told you? I said, I said, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college? You didn't it. Ain't
3: Football fans, with the conference championship games this weekend, it is time to check out Bet Rivers. You could win up to $10,000 in bonus money instantly by playing our exclusive Bet Rivers squares this season. Place a $10 or more qualifying bet wager, and you are able to get in on the squares on the house. If your numbers match up with the square that matches with the final score, you're able to win. Restrictions on qualifying wagers, eligibility bonus, and credit use do apply for full terms and conditions are available at BrentRiversquares.com. As it is the final segment of the Greg Peterson Experience on VSIN, the Sports Bank Network. A little bit of a programming note that if you're listening live to the Greg Peterson Experience and you're listening on VSIN.com, you are going to be getting a replay of the Greg Peterson Experience. And you're listening to a replay, well, follow the money. 4 a.m. Pacific. 7 a.m. Eastern, that is coming your way with Mitch Moss, Paul Howard, getting you guys all set for the NFC and AFC Championship game. I'm sure that they, much like myself, will be buzzing about the flip of favorites that we have seen in terms of the Chiefs and the Bengals game, and I'm sure that they've got a lot on tap to try to make you guys some money on this Tuesday, as do I. We've got to take a look at what we're getting on this college basketball board. Not necessarily the most expansive slate of games, and The Northwestern versus Nebraska game that we were expected to see originally on Tuesday that has now been pushed back to Wednesday. So a little bit of a note there just because with the COVID makeup game for Wisconsin and Northwestern, that pushed it back 24 hours, simple enough there. But that said, we do have this game that is going to be going down and it is what I'm going to be writing up for DK Nation here on this Tuesday, 635-636 on the board. Got TCU playing us to Oklahoma. Oklahoma is an underdog of six half points, pretty much across the board, and total this game and between 137.5 and 138. And my write up here is going to be on the total. I do like TCU on the side as well. I set them as a seven point favorite, so six half is the max that I'm going to be willing to lay in this spot. But I am willing to lay the six half, and we'll get into the reasoning in a second with why I do like this total because with the total set it at a 131. You got an Oklahoma team that is one of the slowest teams at all of college basketball. Bottom 30 in terms of total possessions per game. You've got a TCU team that they just put the clamps down on defense. Last time TCU gave up 70 points or more on their home floor. You have to go all the way back to opening night. That was when they played against Arkansas Pine Bluff with arguably their top three players. You've got out there in the fold Emmanuel Miller. Also Mike Miles throwing their Damian Ball. All these guys. Around the fold in that game. Ball is really your main facilitator. He gives you two steals, five assists, four rebounds, 11 points per game. Miller, your top three-point shooter, shooting about 48% from 3 point range. Double-figure amount of points with him. And Mike Miles is legitimately one of the top players in a very, very good Big 12. He's able to give you 19 points, right around four boards. Really good on-ball defender. Now with TCU, they also play a style in which you're not going to get a lot of threes in this game. TCU. Ranks right around 335th in the country in three-point shooting percentage. They as a collective, shoot below 30.5% from distance. They also allow opponents to shoot less than 30% from three. They are 25th in the country in opponents' three-point shooting percentage. Not Oklahoma. They shoot as a collective about 36.5% from three. Grant Sherfield, who comes in from Nevada, he's been the top scorer for this team. 17 points for assists. Shoots at high 30s to low 40s from three-point range and then down low. They're going to be looking old in there because they've got Tanner Groves along Jalen Hill, who could buy for about 13 rebounds per game. You've got the other Groves brother, and Jacob Groves. He stands right around six foot nine. He's been able to bury about 37, 38 percent of his threes. Chips in there about nine points per game, so he's been able to do a relatively solid job on that front. But it's an Oklahoma team that they rank. Right around 95th to 100th in terms of total possessions per game, depending upon how the Monday teams did, how they played, whether they improved slash disimproved. But that's said, for Oklahoma, they've given up 70 points or fewer in all but three of their games thus far this season because they do play at a their slow and grimy style. And their games just don't involve a lot of scoring because a lot of their possessions, which... They, they don't have too many of them because they just went through at bottom 30 in the country in terms of total possessions game. They turn out to be dead possessions. They turn the ball over at a rate of 256th in the country on a per-possession basis, and TCU, they take the ball away. They are 16th in the country in terms of turnovers force on a per-possession basis with TCU. You also do have other guys that are able to do a nice job of be able to contribute. They've been dealing with a little bit of an injury to Micah Peavy, but... But J- Javon Coles has been able to do a solid job. He's been able to chip in there right around 7.5 points per contest. For TCU, you do have a relatively nice base with them. Meanwhile, for Oklahoma, they're eluding this team just a little bit. They don't need as much of it because they do play at a little bit of a slower style. So I did set my total at a 131. I'm going to be taking a look at the under in this spot, and that's going to be the basis of my write-up. And when it comes to the TCU team, I did sell them as well as a 7-point favorite. So 6.5. The max I'm willing to lay, but I'm willing to lay it. And I'm going to be taking a look at this total under. Now let's take a look at an interesting spot here involving an ACC team that has been quite literally the biggest fade in all of college basketball. 613, 614 on the betting board. NCC plays host to Notre Dame. Notre Dame opened up as an eight-point underdog. Now we're finding this in a lot of places right around an eight-and-a-half. I'm starting to see some nines circulate as well. And totals between 143.5 and a half and one forty four. If you like NC State in this spot, I would say you probably want to jump on it right now because Notre Dame, they are the worst cover team in all of college basketball, which is a big reason why we have seen this get bet up. I said my number at 9, so at 8.5, if you still have that available, that is really the max in terms of the buy point that I have on them when it comes to this Notre Dame team, 3-16-1 against the spread. It has been unsightly bad, and... Last cover that they got, it came against Jacksonville just prior to the new year. They needed a Herculean run in the second half just to be able to get that cover as well. It has been unsightly horrible for this Notre Dame team. As I mean, it's not like they were great to start out the year against the spread, but they started right around like three and five, three, five and one, depending upon your closing numbers. And things have just went straight down the toilet bowl from there. They've only covered one out of their last 11 games. This is the Notre Dame team that plays at a very slow tempo. They're in the bottom 30 in terms of total possessions per game. Problem is, they're in the bottom 40 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. So they play slow and they play very inefficiently. That is not a good combination. And they go up against an NCC team that you've got Jarkel Joiner He's done a solid job chipping in their 16 points per game. He's in... Really support of Traquavie and Smith was able to give you 18 half points per contest. These two guys, they combine for just below eight assists per game. And then on top of that, you've got Casey Morcel, who helps out that backcourt duo by shooting over 43% from three-point range. Notre Dame is allowing teams to just light them up from distance. And now you've had DJ Burns, who has been taking over in the starting forward position with Dusan Morosic dealing with an injury. He's been able to do a solid job with double figures in each of the last five games. And for Notre Dame, Nate Leshiewski, right around 14 at seven boards, shoots it in the high 30s/slash low 40s from three-point range. As a six-foot-ten combo player, has been solid, but don't have a lot of depth with this Notre Dame team. They pretty much play a six-man rotation that doesn't give you a lot of versatility. These guys just have not been able to play any defense. JJ Starlin, Avante Goodwin, they combine for 24 points per game. Goodwin shooting over 40% from three. Starlin shooting more in the low to mid 30s from three point range. But for Notre Dame, they just need to do a little bit of a better job down low. They're not able to give themselves second chances. They attempt a lot of their shots from three. So either they hit a three or they come up with a dead possession. They are very much an all or nothing team, which is why they've been a little bit strange to be able to gauge in terms of totals and. For NC State, under Kevin Keats, things have not been so rosy for them in past years, but all of a sudden, they now rank in the top 80 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Doesn't sound like a ton, but it is a very much marked improvement for this team, As especially at home. They've been giving up right around 10.8 points fewer per one earned possessions when they have been at home rather than when they have been on the road. It's a Notre Dame team that... They have struggled wherever they have played defense. If you send them to Pluto, they still wouldn't be able to guard anyone. It's been really, really rough for them. So it's a circumstance where I do think that fading Notre Dame until we see a further shift in the numbers is still going to be relatively profitable. I did set NC State as a nine-point favorite. So if you still have an eight-and-a-half available, do fire in on this. I did set my total at a 140. This is a total that it opened up at 146. Now that it's come down, I think that you do have a little bit of value to the over because if you find yourself in a scenario where NC State is up like seven, eight points with a minute remaining, you know that the late game felling is going to be coming through and though Notre Dame is playing at a slow pace, They are very, very inefficient on defense. And this is an NC State team that they themselves, they rank more around about 60th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. So they are willing to crank up the tempo. So going to be taking a look at the over and I'm going to be taking a look at NC State laying up to eight and a half with them. And that leads us into our our number three VESA pro tip. visacom slash subscribe. You're able to sort these by show and by sport. And it is that we've got just three games left for the NFL season. Just because we've got fewer games does not mean that you need to all of a sudden bet larger amounts in terms of sides and totals. If you do not have an edge, there's plenty of pl- player props available, and there's plenty of other sports to bet on as well. The NHL, the NBA, college basketball, you're able to go down the list. You've got plenty of betting options, and you've got a great option at 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern for great information. Mitch Moss, Paul Howard, there on Visa, the Sports Betting Network.